Here in the United States, we have just held a presidential election. And there's no sugarcoating it. This one has been big. Tensions have been high and for very good reason. With the influx of a new leader, so much can change. Unfortunately, so much can be revealed to have stayed the same. The racism, oppression, genocide, misogyny, homophobia, division, and hate-mongering that so darkly mars the foundation of this country have left deep scars that have resurfaced as open wounds. And we are amidst what can feel like chaos in a massive way. So for this episode, I've decided to focus on instances when something very small has made a very big impact. Because if you're anything like me, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed and insignificant. To think, perhaps, there is no power in the pint-sized or singular. I would hope, however, that after tonight's stories, you take heart in what's possible from unexpected places. Welcome. I'm Rocket Fox. Join me as we embrace the strange. There are times in this life when we take a look around and wish we could change things, but aren't really sure how. Perhaps when seeing an injustice unfold. Perhaps when seeing a disaster strike. For Dan Stevenson, it was the neighborhood. In 2009, Oakland, California's East Lake neighborhood, wasn't exactly a picturesque oasis. Known for its burglaries, aggravated assaults, drug dealing, prostitution, waste dumping, and graffiti, it was the sort of place that those with the means might try to escape and never look back. One particular eyesore was a small meridian strip upon which mattresses, couches, and other unwanted materials came to rest on a constant basis. It also happened to be across from where Dan Stevenson lived. He wanted to do... something. But he wasn't initially sure what. Then, the answer came in the form of a two-foot-tall stone Buddha statue from a local Ace Hardware. Stevenson is admittedly not a religious man, and told the Oakland North jokingly, I would have stuck Christ up there if we would have cut the mattresses off. Except Christ is so controversial with people. Buddha is a neutral dude. His hope was that the statue would bring a little peace and serenity to the space, or at least make people think twice about littering. And indeed, the littering stopped. But then, something really unexpected began to happen. The space, now being furniture-free, additional litter began to disappear as neighbors began to pick bits up. Soon, Offerings began to show up at the base of the Buddha. Flowers, food, candles. A group of Vietnamese women in prayer robes began to gather at the statue to pray. The community, in a small way, was starting to come together, and the drug dealers, vandals, and prostitutes drifted away. 
When word got out that Stevenson was the one who had installed the statue, it wasn't long after that gifts of Vietnamese specialty foods and candies and fruits began to appear on his and his wife Lou's doorstep, despite his trying to explain why he did it, and that while he respected it, he didn't believe what they did. Despite this, the gifts continued. One of the articles I sourced in the show notes from sfgate.com notes the author asked police to check crime statistics for the area for the block radius surrounding the statue, and found that since 2012, which is when the daily prayers began, the year-to-date crime has dropped by 82%. Robbery reports went from 14 to 3, aggravated assaults from 5 to 0, burglaries from 8 to 4, narcotics from 3 to 0, and prostitution from 3 to 0. The sight of the Buddha, as well as the statue himself, changed too. Vina Vo and her son, neighbors of Stevenson, approached asking if they could care for the statue, to which he agreed, sharing that in the religion, Buddha is not supposed to be on the ground. A small platform was built around which the area was maintained. In time, he was also painted, initially white, but eventually flesh-colored with a golden robe. Over the Buddha was built a sturdy 10-foot shrine with a plaque that reads Fap Duyen Tu, which means tranquility. To this day, every morning at 7 a.m., worshippers gather in the shrine, now filled with religious statues, portraits, incense, and food and fruit offerings to chant prayers. An entire space community, culture, changed because one person wanted to bring a little tranquility to a forgotten space. Sometimes the change is a person with a calling, someone who sees a problem that requires a little more of an involved solution, and dedicates their entire life to providing one in an unusual and inventive way. In Seoul, South Korea, 2007, church pastor Lee Jong-rak found himself in a quandary. Like any minister, there were aspects of his work that he had expected. Preparing sermons, prayer, serving the community, one thing he may not have anticipated, however, was the phone call at 3.20 a.m. A woman on the other end of the line desperately kept apologizing, saying she'd left her baby in front of the church door. He rushed outside, where a cat leapt from a fish box sitting in front of the door. In it lie a baby, quiet, cold. He hugged her to his chest, where, he says, he felt her die. This was not new, as babies were often abandoned in bathrooms, subways, garbage boxes, and like places, but it's a memory one wouldn't forget. To understand the depth and complexity of this issue, it's important to understand a few things about Korean culture. While in Western culture, single mothers still sometimes have an unfavorable slant in society's eyes, in Korea, it means severe stigmatization, loss of support, job prospects, and beyond. 
In 2015, more than 90% of children given up for adoption were those from single mothers. And in the 1980s, 8 out of 10 adoptees were born to single mothers. Children given up due to social pressures, but also sometimes through coercion from the adoption agencies. It's a complex issue that, while there are those who are currently fighting to improve support for single mothers, including making it easier to get paternity testing for child support, still, there is a long way to go. The one issue, literally, on Pastor Lee Jong-Rak's doorstep, however, was newborns. In 2009, Lee saw a news article from the Czech Republic about a baby box for discarded babies. And with that, the first baby box of Korea was born. On a concrete wall, a small metal handle attaches to a door that swings open, revealing a soft and heated interior that opens into the building. When opened, a bell alerts a member of a small staff that a baby is being left. Immediately, a staff member or the pastor himself will rush outside to speak with the parent to dissuade them from leaving their child behind, offering the support that the baby box and church can give, such as diapers, milk powder, and household items. According to the church, 1,538 babies have arrived through the baby box and received protection in the past 10-plus years, of which 161 returned with their birth parent or parents, the majority of which had their babies out of wedlock or after they were raped, with over 50% being in their 20s, followed by teenagers. Baby Box hasn't been without its controversy, however, some arguing that it encourages child abandonment. However, Lee has remained steadfast in his belief of the good it does. He has said, quote, Moms usually left a letter that carries heartbreaking stories and resolute pledges to return someday. They mostly were in desperate circumstances, having nowhere to go and nobody to turn to. That, to me, doesn't sound like an easy choice at all. At the end of the day, despite being privately run, still by himself, a small staff, and supported by sponsors, he still stands by his original goal of it being quote, just to save one more life, and has devoted his life to protecting lives and supporting single moms. Pastor Lee says, when I first opened the baby box, I prayed that nobody would be dropped here. And that's still my wish. I am dreaming of a society where there is no longer a need for such a baby box. The last story I have for you is a story of bravery during wartime and a single small act, or rather, small actor. It is October 3rd, 1918, and World War I is on its final brutal leg. The Meuse Argonne Offensive, the two-month battle that ended the war. In a small depression on the side of a French hill, Major Whittlesey and over 500 of his men from the 77th Infantry Division were trapped, surrounded by enemy soldiers. A native New Yorker, he'd found camaraderie among what became known as the Liberty Division, 
as most also hailed from the Empire State and sported bright blue patches on their shoulders depicting the Statue of Liberty. On this occasion, though, they found themselves in dire need of liberation, as by day two there remained only barely over 200 men still alive or unwounded. Desperate to get news of their position to his commanders, the Major sent out several carrier pigeons. However, none seemed to make it. That afternoon, as the American artillery tried to help by firing protection into the ravine where the division was surrounded, with only one major problem. The commanders didn't know exactly where the 77th was, and started dropping shells directly on top of them. Major Whittlesey had one pigeon left, a small bird named Cher Ami, French for dear friend. Writing a quick note that simply read, We are along the road parallel to 276.4. Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it! Then affixed it to the small canister on the bird's leg. With bated breath, they released Cher Ami and he began to rise into the bleak sky. As he lifted above the brush, the Germans, who knew the Allies' method of communicating through carrier pigeon, began to work to shoot him down. As bullets whizzed around his body, it appeared as though he was struck, and the soldiers watched, horrified, as their last hope began to plummet toward the earth. When suddenly, Cher Ami spread his small wings and began to climb into the sky, ascending higher and higher until he was out of range. The men of the 77th Division waited and waited, and in 25 minutes, the shelling stopped, saving over 200 lives. Cher Ami, in that time, had covered the course of 25 miles, but that isn't all. When he arrived to his coop, he landed hard. The soldier who heard his arrival bell found Cher Ami lying on his back, blinded in one eye and covered in blood. A bullet had hit his breastbone, leaving a hole the size of a quarter. I imagine a hole the size of a quarter in myself. Well, I try not to whenever possible, but I can't even begin to fathom what that would do to something a tenth of my size, at best. What's more, hanging from this injury by just a few tendons was the nearly severed leg upon which the canister with that fateful note was attached. Medics worked tirelessly to patch the little bird up, and while they managed to save his life, his leg was beyond repair. The French, who heard of Cher Ami's bravery and determination, gave him a medal, called the French Croix de Guerre, with a palm leaf, and the remaining men of the 77th took close care of the bird on their return, even carving him a small wooden leg. Once he was well enough to travel, he was put on a boat back to the United States and seen off personally by General John J. Pershing, commander of all the United States Army. Once home, his story spread in newspapers and magazines. Everyone wanting to hear the story of the brave little bird who saved over 200 of America's own, despite all the odds. Less than a year after returning home, Jeremy passed away from his injuries and was preserved where he now remains at the National Museum of American History, where anyone can visit and see in the flesh, uh, feather, an example of determination, even in small packages, making a very big difference.
thank you so much for joining me through the Fantastically Strange. It is a wonderful time to celebrate the successes that we've had, but let's not forget there's still a lot to be done. Each of us can make a really big difference. I hope that you've enjoyed our journey, and make sure to take some time for yourself. Come visit for a spell at fantasticallystrange.com, and on Instagram at fantasticallystrange, and Twitter at fantasticoddpod. If you've enjoyed the show so far, please let me know. Maybe even a follow, share, or review. I write, research, edit, and do all of the things myself, and am so beyond honored and happy to be able to bring you stories about topics that I'm passionate about, and your ear means the world to me. If you do want to support the show, I wouldn't say no to you visiting patreon.com slash rocketfox, where you can get early access to weekly episodes, bonus content, including outtakes and more, as well as goodies from my other work. If you do have any topics you'd like to see covered, any questions, comments, or just to say hi, email me at fantasticallystrange at rocketfox.com. All sources, music, and sound effects are linked and credited in the show info. The amazing logo illustration is by Constance Hermit, and the killer intro song, Hey Dorothy, is by Cruise Machine. Thank you so much again, and I can't wait to see you next time. Surrender, Dorothy. 